You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. You know, there are things that we can do to keep our community safe and follow the Constitution at the same time. We should be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. We ought to be able to work hard for the American people and show them that. And here we are facing a government shutdown. And, and really, what have we accomplished this year? It is the Martha Zoller Show, and that is Nancy Mace, uh, you know, asking the really important question. Um, you know, what have we accomplished this year? Uh, I got a note from Andrew Clyde because I invited him to be on the program uh, this morning, but he's on an airplane going back up to D.C. Uh, he says he thinks that they're close to a deal that 218 Republicans will support in the House. Uh, but our primary focus must be the 12 appropriations passed individually, as we promised the American people. That's why our session will continue through the weekend and all next week. It should not end until we have delivered on that promise. So the Congress has done its job. The House of Representatives have passed 12 appropriations bills. They passed them, sent them over to the Senate. It looks like what might happen is they're going to get another 30-day stopgap so that they can continue negotiating. But let's be very clear here, folks. While the Senate is wasting its time talking about dress codes, and so now they're going to suspend the dress code in the U.S. Senate so that John Fetterman can wear basketball shorts and hoodies on the floor of the United States Senate. They're working on that. And look, I hope Senator Ossoff and Senator Warnock, you are hearing me on this. You guys are trying to do the right thing. I really do. You're trying to find those places of common ground. You're trying to get some things done. But if you don't stand up against your own caucus when they're acting stupid, then what good are you? Okay, I'm very angry about this. And people say, oh, Martha, it's just a dress code. Who cares? It matters because this is the floor of the United States Senate. And this guy is making a mockery of the United States Senate. And you people in Pennsylvania who elected him just because he had a D by his name, when you might not have liked, you didn't like Dr. Oz because he was the Trump candidate, but go back, go back and watch that debate between John Fetterman and Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz addressed the questions, answered the questions, had detail, knew what he was talking about, and clearly wasn't bought and sold by anybody. John Fetterman could barely get a sentence out, and you guys elected him. And he wants to come to the Senate floor in hoodies and basketball shorts. And that's what the Senate's taking up, not the 12 appropriations bills that the Congress has sent over in the appropriate way. You may not like them. There have been probably a hundred times in our history where the House and the Senate were in different control. They got budgets passed. They passed the 12 appropriations bills onto the next chamber and the next chamber took them up or passed their own. And then they went into what's called a conference committee, which you could ask the average AP student They don't even know what a conference committee is because we don't do that anymore. Because we're not going to work together on things. And it really makes me angry. It really makes me angry. You know, I know it's about, you know, clothes don't make the man, all that kind of stuff. 
but it is just a reason. And I, I dress more casually for work than I did 25 years ago. Okay? There is a more casual nature that's happening. I get that. But going from suit and tie to basketball shorts and hoodies, I think it's a little big of a jump. I like the fact that you can be more casual going to the theater. You can go be more casual going to church. But you still aren't going to go to church or the theater or shouldn't go to the floor of the United States Senate with a bunch of hoodies and all of the other things that you're talking about, hoodies and a, a basketball shorts. The man is ridiculous. And the people of Pennsylvania elected him. I don't know where we are. I don't know where we are. You can join us on the phones at 770-535-2911. It is, you know, just one of those days that uh, it took me three times as long to do everything. But I am very proud and I want to thank uh, the Georgia Association of Broadcasters for the award uh, that I got for the 2023 Gabby Award for Excellence in Broadcasting for the best program, non-news or sports and small market radio uh, with uh, the Martha Zoller Show, me and Caleb Hutchins, but now Logan Landers. And um, I'm just, it's so nice to be honored because after a long career, you kind of think that you've accomplished everything. Uh, but you know, I still got a lot of work to do and I've got a lot to accomplish and I appreciate all of you all. I got so many kind notes over the weekend. I wasn't able to attend because I'm still not ready to ride in a car for six hours. My my leg would be swollen up like you don't know wh- what. Um, so I couldn't go to Jekyll Island, but I was so thankful and it was such a nice thing on a Saturday night to start getting really nice text messages from people. So I appreciate it. And Bill Maine, I appreciate you for being down there and accepting the award on our behalf and, um, you know, it's it's nice. It's nice to be recognized. Um, it means something to be recognized by your peers. It's been a good year. It's been a good year for that. And maybe I've just been around long enough. I don't know. But I appreciate it, and I thank you very much. Um, I am feeling a lot better. I'm almost a month. Actually, today I'm a month out from my surgery. I'm almost five weeks. On Thursday, it'll be five weeks. I turned a corner this weekend. Um, I I don't really have any pain. I'm able to sit here in the chair normally. I'm not sitting here with my leg up and an ice bag on it. I may have an ice bag on it by the end of the show, but I'm not having to constantly ice it. And I really am not having any pain while I walk. So now what we're doing is building on and getting back to doing all the things I was doing before, but not too quickly, not too quickly. This one did take longer than the other one. Um, Dr. DeCook was right about that. But uh, I'm appreciative of everybody's help. And I got to tell you, this uh, more 21st century way of doing the physical therapy where you've got an app and you check in on the app. Sure, you could lie if you wanted to, but they'll know because you send them videos and things. They'll know if you're doing things or not. But what's great about it, instead of having to get to a certain place at a certain time and drive there and then do it and come back, You can do it all through the day, and that's really what's worked for me, is I'll take two or three exercises and do them, and then I'll do two or three more and do them, and then two or three more and do them, and then you do the second round of them kind of that way, and you get through the day kind of keeping your movement going all through the day. I think that's better. I don't have any science behind that, 
but I think that's better. And then I have one of those little peddler things because I don't have a stationary bicycle. So I, I just kind of pedal on that peddler thing. I thought about bringing it into the office, but I need it more at home than I do here. So um, thank you to everyone that's checked on me and um, given me support because there were a few bad days. There were a few days where I did too much and my leg paid for it because of that. But I'm feeling pretty normal today. So we'll see where it goes. It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Joining me right now is one of my favorite people in the world, Jim Lechner. Jim Lechner has served his country uh, for more years than he'd probably like to admit. Uh, He was uh, injured in Somalia. Uh, and came back from that injury and ended up serving uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan and uh, continues to serve. You know, he is just one of those people that uh, we say the word patriot, uh, but it really applies to Jim Lechner. And he has spent the last, gosh, almost two years in Ukraine. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, but also about uh, a book that he has coming out called With My Shield. So, um, Jim Lechner, how are you? Well, good morning, Martha. It's great to be back with you again. Well, thank you so much. And just give people a little bit, I know you have such a storied career, but just tell people a little bit more about you and and your career, and then we'll talk a little bit about your time in, in uh, Ukraine. Well, just real quick, I've been blessed um, to have a variety of opportunities uh, commissioned out of the Citadel in the U.S. Army. I was primarily an infantry officer, Somalia, with a task force ranger in Black Hawk Down that we talk about in the book with my shield. It was my first combat operation. I went on to do special operations in Somalia, uh, excuse me, in Bosnia. Um, I did peacekeeping operations in the Sinai between Egypt and Israel. And then I got to serve, as you mentioned, in Iraq and Afghanistan for years and years. Four tours in Iraq, both special operations and conventional, and about eight years in Afghanistan. After I retired out of the Army, I served uh, with the U.S. government. I was a counterinsurgency advisor to the commander of uh, Afghanistan, the four-star general, and I've actually got to serve at the, uh, advise the National Security Council at the presidential level as well. And as you mentioned, um, just two years ago, kind of out of the blue, thinking I was retired here in South Carolina, this war started, and I was picked up by Newsmax to go over and be security and a team leader with their correspondence in the war, and then eventually uh, migrated up to being a war correspondent. So, you know, we've got the situation. The UN, at, at the UN is meeting this week, and, and President Zelensky is going to be speaking. Um, we've got a lot going on with countries around the world. Uh, we've made a big commitment. You know, what do people need to know about what's happening in Ukraine right now? Well, I'm, I'm really thankful for this opportunity, especially in this district of Georgia that I love so much. Um, and, you know, there's some tragedies going on right now from an information perspective. And one of the most important things that anyone who even thinks about Ukraine should understand is that we are not getting the information. First, the Russian propaganda is unbelievable. It's overwhelming. Uh, they are not good at some things, but there are things they're very good at. And Russian propaganda is incredibly effective. It is affecting our leaders. And Georgia, you should know this because some of your leaders are deeply affected by Russian propaganda. And that's constituted mainly of lies. You know, effective propaganda 
is good when there is some truth to it, but then it's exacerbated by lies. And that's mostly what you're getting from from Russia. I will also say on the other side of the ledger, you've got the Ukrainian government that's putting out information. They're, they're fighting to survive, and their information is not always accurate either. And worst of all is the U.S. government, although we're pouring all of our resources into it, really has no commitment to this. Uh, what, what do I mean by that? Well, the Army staff that's normally assigned to an embassy was only allowed to come to Kiev last month. The first time in over a year and a half, the Army officers who specialize in this and work in embassy were allowed there last month. And they're not allowed to leave the capital of Kiev. And I'll tell you that 80% of the country of Ukraine is, you might as well be in Berlin or San Francisco. It's thriving. It's, it's day-to-day life. You don't see the war until you get up to the front. So being in Kiev doesn't even mean much. So the lack of information, the lack of accurate perspective is one of the things that everyone here should know. You're not getting the information of what's really going on at the front. And the U.S. government's been incredibly disappointing. I mean, it's not a surprise to me with this administration, but some of my best days on Newsmax is when I get to follow the White House public uh, affairs officer, John Kirby, or some of their other advisors, and I get to dispute with facts the foolishness that they've been putting out. So that's one of the most important things. People need to know what's really going on there. The second is this myth about boatloads of U.S. cash just going into Ukraine, and we don't know what's going on. That's not how the system works, and people need to understand that. There is a U.S. government fund set aside for us to provide equipment and ammunition that the Ukrainians are fighting with every day. And when that equipment and ammunition is sent out of U.S. military or U.S. government stockpiles, then the money is taken from that account on the U.S. side to purchase new equipment or to make other sales or other contracts here within the U.S. So there's not huge boatloads of money going to the Ukrainians. That's a huge myth. So it's not like uh, the, the, pallets, myth, yes. the pallets of cash that went to Iraq. It's a whole different situation. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because, again, in Iraq, you had U.S. government officials administering that. There are no U.S. government, right. very few U.S. government officials in Ukraine. So that money is not going to Ukraine. That's an incredible myth, incredible propaganda. It's money set aside on the U.S. side in an account. When we send Humvees or ammunition over to Ukraine, then that money is taken from that account to replenish that to the U.S. military. Now, let me make a note of some of these other things that I've seen because I'm one of the few people, I'm not blowing my own horn, but I've just been there for a year and a half. I don't see any Americans besides fellow volunteers who are fighting with the Ukrainians up at the front. Certainly no U.S. government, very little media. We, we go around, to, let's just say, the National Guard, and we find some rickety old Humvee they've had for 30 years. That's what we pull out and send to Ukraine. And then we dock that money from the account and buy new Humvees. We send our old ammunition that's been sitting in the depots for 30 years. I've seen it come with corrosion. I've seen it come with rust. I've seen batteries for the Javelin fizzle in the launchers. And so that's a lot of what we're doing. Now, that's not across the board. Obviously, we're sending some good stuff, but a lot of that is going on. So this idea that we're sending a huge pallet of money to Ukraine and President Zelensky takes his cut or whatever is absolute, you know, in, in the general scheme, absolute myth. Um, the third thing that I'd like to dispel is this idea about this is a corrupt cabal of Zelensky and his cronies against Putin and his cronies. That is one of the most disgusting lies and misconceptions that Americans are being asked to swallow. And it really disappoints me that people are swallowing that. You know, this is a democratically elected government. Let's, let's just do a quick comparison of two governments. One has a government that very questionable election that's fought. You know, that information stems partly from this district, from this area here, Martha, Fulton County, one of the most corrupt entities in the world. And let's just talk about the facts of, of the dispute of the last election. Okay, 
against a government in Ukraine that not one Ukrainian I've ever met has disputed President Zelensky's election. It's a democratically elected government that operates under our Constitution. Can we say the same of our government? No, let's just be careful about the, th- the stones that we throw. And so this is a democratically elected government led by elected President Zelensky fighting against the resurrection of our communist enemy in Russia. Putin is an undisputed tyrant that is leading the new Red Army on an illegitimate invasion of its neighbor. You know, that's another myth that, that uh, we need to explode. The Russian propaganda lies, I could catalog them, but there's a number of others. Let me just use one one quick example. Um, there's this idea that Zelensky the Jew is per, is persecuting the Christian church in Ukraine. Again, absolute lies based on no one you know, being there from the United States to understand what's going on. Russia has a national church system inside of Ukraine. And for a year, I've watched the Ukrainian government tell this Russian national church, stop spying on our activities. You have churches in Kiev, you have churches in Kharkiv, you have churches all across this country, and you're using that national church from Russia to spy on us. You know, undisputed fact. After a year, they finally said, we're going to start shutting your churches down because you're spying on us. That in no way has anything to do with theology or any other Christian church, but I've seen Americans, leaders from Georgia, take that line that Zelensky the Jew is persecuting Christian churches. Absolute garbage. Yeah, and I hadn't heard that. I haven't heard that argument. I mean, I believe that um, we need to push Russia back. And you know what's ironic? A lot of people don't like Mitt Romney anymore, okay? And I get why they don't. But when he debated Obama in 2012, he talked about the rise of Russia, that Russia was really more of what we had to worry about. It turned out he was right about that. Oh, 100%. I mean, uh, Vladimir Putin has shown that what his vision is, is to resurrect a Russian empire. Sure. Not necessarily a Soviet empire, but a Russian empire. And he stated his goal is to bring Russian-speaking people, which extend all the way into places like Romania, Bulgaria, Poland, Russian-speaking people back into the sphere of Russia. Um, so without a doubt, he's aligned against our interests. And I, I also think it's important, another point that I was going to get to later, but we can bring up now, is that Russia, China, and now North Korea and Iran, you know, the old enemies that we've always had that have never wanted to do us any good, are now together again and aligned against us. And what's really important is that China is watching our response. They're watching the incompetent, weak response of this nation. You know, about, what, 30 years ago, a little over 30 years ago, this nation said, hey, if a, if a tyrant's going to invade its neighbor like Iraq invaded Kuwait, we're going to stand against that. What has changed in 30 years? What has changed when a tyrant invades a democratically elected government, a free people fighting for its freedom, and now we're going to prostitute ourselves because we're opposed to the administration? The facts on the ground in Ukraine have nothing to do with the incompetence of this administration. And again, I, I am the most anti-Biden person on this radio you know, network right now. I guarantee that. But that has nothing to do with the facts on the ground in Ukraine. So oh, what's the, the fact, difference between and the fact is, Kuwait and Iraq? You know, the, the biggest problem I had with Joe Biden was he hadn't made a good decision on foreign policy since 1975. He's been on the wrong side of every single one, including going oh, after Osama bin Laden, including how he, he got out of Afghanistan. I mean, I talked yeah. to a general who spoke to our uh, Rotary Club, and at the time he spoke to our Rotary Club, he was still, 
he was still, um, you know, active duty. And so he said, I can't speak against the chain of command, but this is how you do something like Afghanistan, meaning that if you are going to leave a situation like Afghanistan, you go out in the reverse order that you came in, which means you'd get out of Kabul first, get everybody out, and you'd work back to Bagram Air Force Base because the first thing we took when we went in to Afghanistan was Bagram Air Force Base. And the last people that would be going out would be the people that had to fight their way out, which are the people that are meant to fight their way out, which are the military, not civilians. And, you know, and and that made a lot of sense. We had a question come in from a listener, Jim, saying, are you saying that the people of Kiev aren't feeling the effects of the war? That was a question from what you said earlier. Uh, No, no, I I wouldn't say that. But I would say that Kiev... is a thriving city. The population's gone back to about 2 million. Uh, businesses and restaurants are open. So life is pretty good in Kiev. But um, you still see the resiliency there. I mean, they're still under periodic air attack uh, by cruise missiles and drones. There's weaponized drones now that are launched, uh, provided by Iran. Thank you very much. Um, and you almost have daily air raid sirens. So they suffered a lot. Um, it, the city's not in ruins. Like I said, it's thriving. And, and so you don't get a good sense day to day of the war. You know, you'll have an air raid siren go off. You might hear a boom way off in the distance. It's a huge city. It's, you could have an air attack occur there, and you don't even know where the impacts are. But you don't see the war. You can't get the feel for what's going on in the war until you're about 20 miles from the front. And so most of the of the country of Ukraine, and this is partly due to their resiliency, is, is kind of trying to function normally. So you're not going to get a good sense sitting in your hotel in the Hilton you are absolutely not getting a sense of what's going on at the front, what the reality is, and seeing the culmination of the U.S. efforts and the weapon systems and the things that are going on and what the Ukrainians need. They're not perfect. They, they make a lot of mistakes. They need a lot of help. Uh, and you can't see what that, you know, what that requirement is unless you're up at the front. So and what, one of the things that disappoint. Yeah, go ahead. No, what is the diff? What is the definition of victory? Because I think one of the biggest mistakes we've made since we – um, really since World War II, where we have these one-year deployments, and I know we're not deploying soldiers, but we have this mindset of these one-year cycles, you know, and we don't really say what is victory, right? Um, what is victory for Ukraine? Because I know what I think victory is, but what do you think victory is for Ukraine? Yeah, that, that, again, Martha, that's a great Great contextual point. And so out of the six wars that I've been in, this is the first one where I've really been in a full commitment war that feels like World War II or World War I. We actually say this is like World War I with drones because of the nature of the trench warfare. But at the strategic level, Ukraine is a united people. There are free people with a democracy fighting for their survival. I mean, they've got relatives in occupied areas. The Russian army is advancing uh, and, as I said, attacking throughout the country. There are united people trying to fight back against this invasion. So for them, the first thing is survival. And I, in my view, they're going to survive. They've given the Russians such a bloody nose. The Russians have demonstrated they're not going to be able to take key with the rest of the country. And so now you're talking about the disputed areas, the disputed uh, regions around the south and around the east. And now they're fighting to try to get their legitimate territory back. And I think what's going to happen over the next six months, I know this isn't your question necessarily, but what's going to happen is the Ukrainians are going to continue to try to mount their counteroffensive, get as much territory back, and then there's just going to have to be an acceptance of reality is they're not going to have total victory. 
To them, total victory is to liberate every inch of their territory. I don't think that's going to happen for a variety of reasons. Russia is such a huge military effort against them. They're not going to be able to push them back. And the U.S. and the West is not providing the support the Ukrainians would, able, would need to do that to push them back. So I think victory for the Ukrainians is going to be first survival as a nation. They're going to come out stronger as a democracy and as a nation. And then second, to get as much of their territory back and to attrit and damage the Russian military and show them that you're not going to be able to move against us to the point where the Russians going to have to go back and lick their wounds and, and reconsider military action. And if that happens, the way you lay it out, does that help us with our issues with China? Well, again, a little bit of apples and oranges. If the U.S. demonstrates resolve, if the U.S. steps up to the plate and actually helps this democracy fight against the communist uh, invasion effectively, which we've not done, do this effectively, then China's going to say, okay, we've got an efficient government with a strong policy and an effective military and weapon systems. We've not demonstrated that at all in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it's been milk toast and trickle-in equipment at best. And again, this is a U.S. government problem, not a Ukrainian problem. So I think if the U.S. shows that it can operate effectively on the world stage, then that would give China, you know, cause yep. to, to be concerned so and say, well, we might face an effective policy in Taiwan, but we're not showing that right now. So tell us about With My Shield. We've got about a minute and a half left. Yeah, so... Again, my first uh, my first war, my first real combat operation was in Somalia back with Task Force Ranger and the Black Hawk Down event. Um, you've been a great supporter and great friend over the years. I've appeared on this show a number of times talking about that as a basis for other things. So I, w- I wrote a memoir. It's about my first couple years in the Army. Um, I was stationed in Georgia down at Fort Benning, uh, so I had a great love for Georgia. My wife's from Columbus. I'm, I was went to the Citadel, and so I wrote some about my first years in the Army and then uh, about my deployment to Somalia, which was really a miraculous story. It was just the planets coming into alignment, the stars coming into alignment just miraculously. And and really, it's a story of God's plan for me and God guiding me into this because it should not have happened. The stars just came into alignment. I was selected for this top-secret mission. I deployed with Task Force Ranger, which was Army Rangers and Special Operators, uh, to Somalia, and we fought what's now... Uh, become a relatively famous battle. And that, that's what the book is primarily about, With My Shield. And where can people get it? It's on Amazon. It's at Barnes & Noble. It's published by a company called Osprey out of England. But it's on Amazon, uh, number one in East African Studies. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's, that's it's, right. You got to be. It's on Audible. Yeah. And it's everywhere. Jim Lechner, thank you so much for your service throughout these years. And thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Martha. I appreciate it. Putting the talk in News Talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Michael Levine is here with me right now. And, you know, I think if Ted Cruz were in hoodies and basketball shorts, um, he probably would have been fined. It's, it, it, it is really, I love the fact that the world is a little more casual, that you can go places and you can do things. I dress more casually for work than I did 20 years ago. But if I were going to the United States Senate, I would dress up. I would wear a suit. That's a pr- that's the way it should be, I think. Well, Martha, Martha I, I wonder, I'm just so interested in your premise. I wonder about your premise. Is it, I mean, obviously I agree with you. It is a very, in my opinion, a very, very, that's two varies, bad thing 
to allow people, to encourage people to dress like slobs in the citadel of American democracy. This is not a good thing. If you also believe, as I do, that politics is nothing more than downstream culture, I think it offers some explanation. It's a very bad thing. Do you want to live in a country in which the highest political offices, national offices, are decorated with people in gym shorts? I don't. I don't think it speaks well of our country. I think it sends a horrible signal. I think Chuck Schumer should be deeply embarrassed by his decision, should be ashamed of himself. Now, to your question, is it, generally speaking, a good thing that the world is more casual at large? Perhaps. I, I, you know, what started as casual Fridays, I believe, has become casual Monday through Fridays. <laughs> I'm not sure that this is a great thing for society. Um, now, you know, there, there, are, there are gradations uh, for a man to not wear a tie to work is one thing, but to wear, you know, uh, cut off blue jeans. I know teachers very often now go to school in jeans and, uh, you know, T-shirts. And I'm not sure that's the, the proper signal to be sending to young uh, elementary school teachers very frequently go to school in jeans and T-shirts. I don't know if that's the, the the proper signal to be sending to young minds. I mean, perhaps I, doesn't that position of authority come with some responsibility? It would seem to me it does. Yeah, but and I have, the Senate thing is a disgrace. It's yeah, and I disgrace. have I have noticed on um, TV shows that some hosts, mm-hmm. some male hosts, are not wearing ties anymore. They wear a nice yeah. jacket. They got a nice yep. shirt on. You know, you yep. can tell it's a nice shirt. But they're yep. not wearing a tie anymore, and that's that's, that's become different. a little more accepted. And you know, it is. It, you're right. And yeah. but getting to your central point, shame on Chuck Chuck Schumer. Yes. Shame on John Fetterman. By the way, there are, there are issues about John Fetterman that transcend clothes. I, I mean, that just adds to. The whole question. Well, the argument is being made that Chuck Schumer is now the most powerful man in the Senate because he controls three votes. He controls his vote, he controls Fetterman's vote, and he controls Dianne Feinstein's vote. So he's actually got three votes instead of one. Um, Right. He's very, it's very interesting to me. I mean, look, I, I love the fact that. If I'm in New York, if I'm working in New York and then I'm going to the theater that night, I don't necessarily have to go home and change. I can wear what I wear wore to work to the theater. That is a more right. casual way, but it still isn't casual. It's but, not basketball but can shorts. I, can, can we agree that what you just stated probably does not include a T-shirt and shorts? That's right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. You know, because you have a sense of what is and was appropriate. It is inappropriate. And by the way, to your question, to your point about 
Chuck Schumer controlling three votes. Dear God, what does it say about our civilization, our American civilization, that we have senators now who are incapacitated? Yep. I mean, would any would anyone drive in a car with Diane Feinstein driving? And yet our American civilization has created a system without correcting it, right, that allows it. No wonder this country isn't some of the problems it's in, and no wonder it's the laughing stock of much of the world. Well, and the partisanship has gotten to the point because there used to be a time when a group – either senators or house members would go to somebody and say, you know, the jig is up and, you know, you need to go. That's what happened with Nixon. That's what happened with Nixon. A group of senators got together and said, you know what, we've defended you all we can and we can't defend you anymore. So it's time to go. And we just don't have people that will do that anymore. Correct. And further, we don't have a Senate in which we say, I mean, Nikki Haley has put forth, I think, an exceedingly reasonable proposal in there's cognitive tests after 75. Now, I would go further. I, I think that no one should serve in national office over the age of 80. I mean, that's preposterous. Who would think that that's a good idea, and yet 50 senators, I'm 100 senators, I apologize, 100 senators can't agree on it because they're more interested in their own power than correcting a serious flaw in our American democracy. And we have three senators, including Dianne Feinstein, that are 90. Okay, you know, it's 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 like the and most it's both parties. Uh, yes, uh, Martha. yes, it's both parties. M- it's Mitch the most McConnell, expensive. I believe, is eighty-two. Yes, Nancy Pelosi is eighty-four and running for re-election, and she thinks this is a good idea. And her uh, and and her colleagues do. I mean. It's not one party or the other. The Republican, and the only one that apparently had the courage to do the right thing, and I'm not necessarily a fan of his on all issues, is Mitt Romney. Yep. He said, I'm 77. It's enough. It's enough. Well, I mean, our uh, Senator uh, Johnny Isaacson uh, resigned, retired in 2019 because he was diagnosed right. with Parkinson's, and he said, yeah. you know, I can't. Fulfill my responsibilities. He was seventy-four, yeah. which is relatively young compared yes. to these people. <laughs> yes, but he did, you know, and he did well, the right thing. By the way, thing. it is not relatively young. It is relatively young, in co- according to the insanity that we now have governing our country. And these are national offices. This is not. Lo- this is not, you know. A, a mayor of Peoria. This is, these are national offices. And yet, first of all, there's, as you indicated, there's only 100 senators in America. Three of them are over 90. I mean, on what planet would anyone outside of a mental institution think that's a good idea? <laughs> and, at least and yet, it continues. There. Both parties 
both parties, and I tell you, I, I've challenged people to go back and look at the debate between John Fetterman and Dr. Oz. You can say oh, what yeah. you want. You can say what you want about Dr. Oz, but Dr. Oz came prepared. He answered yep. questions. He had policy, and he talked legitimately where you could understand him. But yet, the people of Pennsylvania voted for John Fetterman. Correct. And so, in the end, we get the government we deserve. And the fact that we have a pitiful government indicates very strongly that we have a pitiful society. And that's a great, much greater problem than the, polit- than, than, the, uh, the, than the leadership. It's, it's, <laughs> this is a very, very complicated and difficult problem. Because if somebody... And first of all, why would Pennsylvania Democrats allow John Fetterman to run? They should say, Senator, this is not your time. You're having, a, you're having some health problems. There's no dishonor in having health problems. But it's not appropriate to represent the Democratic Party with these health problems. It's just not appropriate. Amen to that. So, We'd like, with great respect, to allow you to get your health problems settled, and then, if in a few years and you're feeling better, and we'll be happy to support you. Wouldn't that be a reasonable thing to say? Absolutely. Nope. No, that would nope. be reasonable, but it doesn't happen. Nope. And then Pennsylvania uh, voters elected him. I don't know what to say, except they deserve what they get. Michael Levine, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, friend. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Joining me right now is Mike Collins, uh, Congressman Mike Collins. And uh, we've got a couple of reasons we wanted to have him on today, always because he can tell us the real story about logistics, but also he tells us the real story about what's going on in Congress. Mike, welcome to the program. Well, it's good to be with you, Marson. Thank you. I know there's a lot going on, so I wanted to just hit a couple of topics. We did get an uh, a question from a listener when they saw that you were going to be on uh, to ask you about your position on Ukraine, because I think they've yeah. read some things in the news, and they wanted to know where you are on it. Yeah. No, I think I've been pretty clear all along. We have spent enough money, more than enough money, than what we should have already on Ukraine. If the European Union... Uh, they need to step up. It's in their backyard. It's in their best interest. And if the United States wants to spend money on an invasion, let's send our money and our troops down to the southern border where we're getting invaded every day by illegal aliens. That'd be better bunnies, more well spent than what we're doing trying to spend money over in Ukraine. I'm sure you just heard the numbers. The numbers are out now for the year, and it's another record year of border crossings and i always qualify that by that we know of okay and i just don't understand why this administration continues to tell us what we see isn't happening and continues to insist that they have uh control of the border i mean even your democratic colleagues have got to agree that we do not have control of the border and, and they do they do i think you you still got an administration that's trying to use the media to spend everything you know, it doesn't really matter what the subject matter is. But, uh, Martha, you think think about it. We've had over 100 people off the terrorist list captured, 
sneaking across that border. And that's the ones that got captured. You know, what about the ones that didn't? We've had over well over a million gotaways down there. So you really don't have control of the border. If you, and if you don't see it from that angle, see it from the angle of drug trafficking and fentanyl problem. You know, you take one of the smallest counties in my district, 15,000 people. That's not the smallest, but one of the smallest. They've had over 27 deaths this year from fentanyl overdose. Well, I mean, take a look at sex trafficking and human trafficking and labor trafficking, which is basically uh, slavery in the 21st century, and we're allowing it to come across our border every day. We are. So, you know, people ask me, I'm America first. I believe in in taking care of this country first, and there are more needs down there on that southern border than what we'll ever get uh, from Ukraine or anything. Matter of fact, I guarantee you most people can't even find them on a map still. So that, if we were uh, to if we were to convince everybody today that this is the policy we need to look at on the border, what would you do? How could you implement it? I know y'all have already passed House Bill Two A, um, House Bill Two. Um, we have. Would you what 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 would have to happen? If the we, same, what ha- we need to pass HR two. We do, but you know what would be even better? Let's pass Homeland Security appropriation bills. You people sent us up here. We're getting paid, and it's not that hard of a job description. Now, it's been hard for me to figure out how to get the job done, but I'm learning that, too. But right now, we've got 11 appropriation bills that we have not passed. We've got the end of the year coming up. It's September the 30th. We should be up here night and day. I don't care how long it takes, but we need to pass those appropriation bills. That's where you do several things. Not only do you fund the federal government at lower levels because we're running high deficits and it's ridiculous that we're still funding them at pandemic levels, but you also are able to go in and rein in these federal agencies and guide them on what the American people want. That's the other part of the oversight, either uh, amending rules and regs or making sure that they don't get money to spend on frivolous things and making sure that they spend the money in the right areas, like finishing that border wall like making sure that our border patrol are securing the border and not down there acting like reservation agents as people come across and making sure that they've got hotel food and airfare to wherever they want to go. So what's happening today? Because I know your schedule got mixed up. What is happening today related to the budget um, and and what we have to do in order for you guys to do your job? Well, you know, all of our appropriation bills go through com- subcommittee, committee, and then to the floor. And and all of them are ready. They've all, uh, several of them are going through the rules committee, which is what we have to set up before we actually take them to the floor. And you have to have 72-hour notice. But we're not in session right now. You know, I have been pleading. I have sp- spoke with everybody in leadership except for Scalise, and we know he's he's got medical problems right now. But and I told them, you know, I'm a business person. When the ox is in the ditch, you got to work and get him out. And and I don't care if we stay here all day, every day, even throughout the night. But with us here, we need those appropriation bills on the floor. We need the amendments out there because we're open rules. We're, we should be able to put amendments. I've got a lot of them that I want to put amendments on. I've been out there for eight months pointing my finger at these federal agencies, telling them that I'm going to take care of you when appropriation comes around. And guarantee you they've been sitting there laughing at us because we haven't done our job in years. Ten years of omnibus bills. Since 1997, we've been passing continuous resolutions or omnibus bills, and this mess has got to stop. It's, it's time to put them on the floor, put your amendments out there, 
whip your amendment, get it passed or not passed, and let's get these things voted on. If we if they don't pass, at least the American people see that we are trying to do our job instead of just kicking this can down the road and giving these agencies money with no oversight, no accountability, and say, hey, we'll see you next year. So if, stop. if there's a government shutdown, um, you know, it's it's the Biden administration that's going to decide what gets paid and what doesn't get paid during the government shutdown. They uh, do. So what do we do to make sure that the American people understand what has to happen? Because it's looking more like we're going to get a government shutdown for a period well, of time. And I went yet. through it a couple of times when I worked in the Senate. It really was a kind of a joke, actually, yeah. uh, during the period yeah. of time. But but Republicans will get blamed for it. How do we message that? Well, we message it by making sure that right now we do our job and we work to get as many appropriation bills out as we can. And then if, if the time comes, then you don't have to have you've got funding for certain portions of the government, you, you know, to where if you don't pass any appropriation bills, you haven't done anything. So I would say that we're not there yet. We've still got time. I'm willing to go to work. I even asked if we could gavel in at 7 in the morning and gavel out at midnight. That's fine with me. You know, I, I think I've put in, uh, incident happened one time, I put in 32 hours at work straight. So I, it doesn't scare me to go to work, and it doesn't scare me, to stand up there and tell people how I vote. Well, y'all need to stay in session from now until this is solved. I mean, the American people we deserve do. that. I mean, you guys have they too do. much. I don't mean you, but there's too much time off. There's too much gaveling in and out. Y'all need to gavel in, get the work done that you were sent there to do. And that should be job one. That should be job one. And I think, and, and job two is when we get through this, we need to sit down and, and have a come to Jesus party. We need to find out exactly why. We didn't pass these appropriate bills back when they were supposed to. If we'd have been following the 1974 Budget Act, we would have had our appropriations done in June, July. No problem. But here we are, September, over halfway through September. And, and well, I hope you're going to – I know you've been championing that. I hope you're going to champion that going forward. Let's get back to regular order because the president's going to have a $2 trillion deficit this year. And we can't afford yeah. this. Mike Collins, if people want to get in touch with you, because I know you got to get to a meeting, if people want to get in yeah. touch with you, how can they do that? They can look us up at Rep. Mike Collins, GA, and, uh, and, and find us anywhere on all the social media. And uh, we'll be glad to listen to them. We're always wanting to hear what people want us to know. So, you're, you're so always, let us know. Let you're us know always available, and I appreciate that, Mike. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.